Broadcasting live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to the Police Applicant Podcast. This is episode 32. And welcome, Minerva, our co-host. How's it going? Hey, good morning. Good. It's going good. All right. No complaints. You look all, all, all like, have you worked out already today? No, I had to take a week off. Oh, shameful. Terrible. Yeah. So. Yeah. I had to take a week off. Yeah. Well, we want to, we want to uh, welcome everybody to this episode. I am excited about this episode. And uh, so I want to get through some announcements first, and then we'll get right to the, uh, right to our guest. Uh, first off... Um, Wait, can I say my announcement real oh, quick? Oh, you have an announcement. Go for it. I do. First off, it's Ken's birthday today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know I knew, huh? I did not know <laughs> you were going to say that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I woke up again today. That Can't beat that. Once into retirement, every day you wake up is a blessing, and I'm um, super excited about about today. We're going to go to Red Lobster for dinner with the kids. Ooh, so that'll be fun. in a minute, but it's... <laughs> I have good memories of Red Lobster. Yeah, I like it, Red Lobster. So there's one thing I want to mention. There's a couple of things I want to mention. We're going to, uh, Minerva and I have a date where we're going to go Facebook Live. And um, <clears throat> so uh, we'll all announce that during the weekday updates. I'll, I've been, I'm starting to do weekday updates where we talk about a little bit things that we don't want to talk about in the podcast and just the news and things like that. So we'll announce a date on that. Well, we're going to go Facebook Live. We're going to talk to our our, I don't know what you call our listeners. I was going to say fans, but our listeners and, um, (laughs) yeah, I call them my kids. (laughs) And, uh, so we'll, we'll be doing that. One thing I want to do right now. Oh, also Minerva, we're going to, uh, I'm going to be publishing these episodes on YouTube and, uh, we, (laughs) Oh no, but we don't, I can't come in my sweaty workout post workout. (laughs) Well, the first thing is, the first thing is we're going to, I'm going to publish the ones that we just have the, the, uh, the audio. So it'll be audio. People can find us on Facebook too. I mean, uh, YouTube, but we might in the future do YouTube, YouTube videos. We'll see. Um, Give me a headset. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, uh, the last thing I want to say is, we received a voicemail. Uh, we did an interview with Alex, who's been in the process for 14 years, been trying to get on there, was hired. His background investigator went to the, the academy. Well, he was already in the academy and uh, he got let go because of something that came up in his background. And so we had him as a guest on our last, our last interview. And we got an, a voicemail from one of our listeners on, the, on our website. So I'm going to play that that and see uh and and just uh, he alex's episode impacted this uh this uh, gentleman so his name is mike so i'm going to play his voicemail here real quick good afternoon my name is mike just wanted to let you guys know that i just finished listening to episode 31 where you guys talked to alex in regards to him going through the academy applying at various departments and being turned down many times. He's 38, I'm 38, and uh, just like Alex, uh, that story pretty much hit, hit home for me because, like I said, I'm 38 and I've been applying for 14, probably even longer years. I'm very good podcast. I'm glad that I found your podcast uh, because there's a lot of tips in there that are beneficial to me. Thank you. So that was pretty cool. Um that we're, nice. you know, I'm getting emails from folks that have 
been impacted. And we get we get those from from people who have listened to the podcast and, and, and they've enjoyed it and it's helped them a lot. So if you want to reach out to us or leave a voicemail and want to be included in the podcast or just leave a leave a voicemail for us, you can do that in the show notes. It says I think it's there's a link that says leave a leave a voicemail. Without further ado, let's get on to this interview. I am very excited about this. This interview is with Chief Ed Gebhardt with Fisher Fisher's Police Department, correct? Yes, Fisher's. Fisher's Police Department in Indiana. And um or is it I'm sorry. Yeah, Indiana, right? Yep, Midwest. Okay, okay. Guys, I keep I, I know someone in Illinois. I'm getting mixed up here. But um so so I'm going to call you Ed because the yep. old school part of me says a chief is a chief, but I'm going to forge through, call him Ed. Uh, although I want to say chief the whole interview. So if I do say chief, you know, that's I'm fine. <laughs> I, go, I go by both. By and both. A few other names, and a few other names at home with the wife. But, uh, I'll take chief or Ed here. And so we were, we were um, uh, sent to Ed through a mutual friend, uh, Nick Wilson of the resiliency project. And we had it, we had yeah. Nick on here as a guest. And one of the reasons that I, uh, we, you're our first chief. One of the reasons that I had you on here, cause it was conveyed to me that, uh, chief Gebhardt is a cop's cop. And, um, I think that those types, that breed of chief is uh, few and far between. And I love talking to chiefs who remember what it was like to push a black and white. And so I think that, um, uh, this interview is going to be cool for me because, um, I can talk to someone who's actually a chief at an agency in 2022, and we can find out about what's going on with hiring, uh, what uh, what the prospects are for police departments across the nation, because it doesn't matter what agency, Minerva, you and I know this from California, it doesn't matter what agency that that's hiring, everybody's struggling in the same ways. So I think that this will be pretty cool. Chief, welcome to the, uh, to the podcast. And uh, first I want to start out, I, you know what, Minerva, I sent you all this stuff in the, in the, in the emails and texts and things like this. I, yes. I am a chief Ed Gebhardt social, I'm a social subject matter expert. I am an expert <laughs> in the chief. I know everything about him. <laughs> I did my research. Sounds so kind of stalkerish, <laughs> or it could be just research, you know. But that's true. You don't, want, you don't want to have anybody on that's going to make the ratings go down. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so, Chief, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've got quite a quite of uh, uh, extensive uh, resume. So, how did you get to be chief? And and tell us the story about how you got into police work. So there's a there's a couple of questions all at once. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Chief is an accident. Um, I'll honestly say it, it was not the goal. I didn't set out in my career to be the chief of police. Um, things were happening along the way, and, and uh, you, you're moving through your agency, and different doors are opening and closing, and I happened to walk through a couple of the correct doors and uh, avoided some of the bad doors and ended up in the seat I'm at now. But it all began when I was 19 years old. Um, I was kind of looking for what I wanted to do next. Um, I wanted to do something that uh, was true to my identity. And, and what I mean by that is, is I'm a very on my feet, moving around kind of individual. So I, I didn't want a desk job. I didn't want 
I didn't want to be bored. Um, I, I think I'm a self-diagnosed uh, attention deficit disorder guy. So I'm always on the move. And uh, I, wrote, I had a ride along with a friend who was on the job. And I first worked out in La Plata County, Colorado, out west, as I'm a West Coast kid, born in uh, born in Los Angeles, um, oh. lived up in uh, the, the California and then up to Northern California, then out to Colorado. And that's where I started policing. I went on a ride along and uh, that was it. We had a code three, signal 10, wherever, Midwest, East, whatever you call it. That's what the lights on the cars going. And uh, uh, my, my friend had Metallica on and. We were headed to a violent domestic and I, I was hooked. That was it for me. And um, we got on scene there and it was just everything at one time. It was uh, it was like watching a TV show, but you're in the show and, and you're 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 just deciphering through it. And I decided that 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 night that that's what I was going to go do. And so um, at 20, I started applying to academies and back then, so about 27 years on the job now, back then uh, you, you, you could put yourself through. So I put myself through cause I didn't think anybody was going to touch a, uh, a young punk kid. So I decided to put myself through and um, got a job right on the other side of it. I, I went into the sheriff's department and said, Hey, you guys didn't hire me, but just pay attention to me when I'm out at the Academy, cause I'm going to do good things out there. And uh, um, when I got back, that lieutenant actually that I spoke with, uh, he, he gave me a shot, gave me a chance. And, uh, here I am, you know, here I am 20, 27 years later, Wow, still, still running. And well, I think I'm running, but, uh, and just to, from your point there in the, uh, uh, in the beginning, when you introduced me there, my car is a fully marked, fully lit, um, eight seventy shotgun in between the seats. And that's how I drive to work. And that's how I go home. And, I haven't changed a thing about that, except for I don't get to go out and have much fun anymore. But, uh, <laughs> I, get to, I get to watch other people have a, a lot of fun. So that's neat, right? That's cool. Uh, Minerva, did I hear correctly? He was a, he was a self-sponsor in the Academy. I know, you know, I caught that. I and, caught that. I don't. Uh, yeah, we, we have our, our opinions about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult it's difficult, but um so, so Ed, you were in the academy and they had not hired you and you actually went to them and said, Hey, check me out. Yeah, I showed up. I had a, my, uh, uh, I had some good, really good mentors and I said, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm going to stop in at the sheriff's office tomorrow unannounced and just ask to see the, the lieutenant there and tell him that he needs to hire me. And he's my, <laughs> my mentor goes, what are you wearing? And I said, I'm going to wear a, you know, jeans and a shirt. And he said, don't you ever go into an office without a tie on. <laughs> so I went and bought a tie at JCPenney and uh, rolled in there. And uh, I was so nervous. And I just introduced myself and said, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And uh, I'm going to be the police one day. And I just want you to pay attention to me out there. <laughs> All right. He did. Uh, he did because uh, my, the, uh, the time, the director of the academy, had told me, you know, uh, uh, Lieutenant Ray Mayer called, asked about you today. And I got, I was, get, I was getting fired up. I'm like, he did, he did <laughs> have a good week. You know, did he call this week? No, he didn't call bad week. You know, I just wanted him paying attention. And I was really, it's really the beginning of your process. The, the minute you hit the door and I tell our recruiters now, the first time they hit the door, they come in here and introduce themselves. They do something because of that interaction that I had that many years ago, we will take the time for anybody that comes in here and, and wants to introduce themselves. And we still do it today. So if they walk in here, 
I'll meet, I'll go down and meet them if I'm here or one of our recruiters or one of our supervisors will go shake their hands for sure. That is cool. You know, Ken, I got to say, so there, you know, we have our opinions based on our experience as background investigators and me, myself, I went through, um, I know you probably don't know my story. So I got hired by LAPD. I failed the academy with six weeks to graduate. And then I, I was hired by another agency that I had already worked with as a cadet, as a police cadet. So I started my career at 19 as well. And then I got put through an academy where people can put themselves through an academy. So I saw the people in my class that self-sponsored. And then I did backgrounds. And based on that, I have my opinions, right? But I want to point out that Chief Gephardt has, you know, he put himself out there. He knew he wanted this and he made sure that he told the right people, watch me, watch me do this. And that's the difference between other self-sponsored candidates. Right. So I just wanted to point that out for our guys, our, our people that are listeners who put themselves through, like, don't just put yourself through and expect people to come to you. Make mm -hmm. sure that you're doing your best and that you let those people that need to know that how you're doing show them. Well, and, and to that point, um, you know, I'm aware and we'll get in because, you know, I spent some time in background investigations here. I helped build the philosophies here. So I, I'm educated in that realm of things as well. And that's another accident. Um, I was field training and they gave me a PO and I went to the sergeant and I'm like, where the hell did you find this guy? And uh, the sergeant gave me a background book and said, well, you can help if you're so smart. And I started doing backgrounds and then I started getting into that side of the house a little bit. And, and I, it was very fulfilling. But I will tell you that, yeah, you have to set yourself aside. Even now, you have to find ways to endear yourself to the agency. And likewise, if you're a good agency, you should be finding ways to endear yourself to the candidates if you want the best candidates, you should be endearing yourself to the candidates as best as you can. And, and we do that as many times as we can and maybe not as much as we should because we're not perfect. But if I get a person to walk in here and have the audacity to say, man, I'm going to the academy, will you, will you pay attention? I'll pay attention to that. I'll give that some credit. The other reason I had to do it that way is because no one was really hiring 20-year-old snot-nosed kids. And so, you know, a lot of my mentors were like, you're too young. You have no life experience. I didn't go to college. Um, I got a job right out of high school and, and I moved quickly through that company. I became a supervisor pretty fast at a young age, but I had nothing substantial in that background that was going to set me aside. And I and, and so I knew I was going to have to do some things to make them pay attention to what I was doing in that academy. So if you don't have the background of the college and all the things you need to line up at the end of the day, you're going to have to find some ways to just shine a little bit. And there's a lot of various ways as we talk about our process where there's multitude of times where you think I'm not watching and I'm watching or someone else is watching. Cause I ain't looking at test scores. I'm looking at how you're interacting with the candidates on the PT day. I want to know if you'll go back and pick them up on the run. I want to know all that about you. And that matters to me because we have on our, on our PT day, we'll have 25 officers from the agency out there. And I'll have them broken off in groups of five or six. And I do that because I want them taking notes on them personally. You know, how are they? How are they treating each other? Do they, do, do they pick each other up? Do they go back and pick each other on the run? You know, what are they taunting each other? Are they being, are they, you know, what are they doing? 
if they're doing the 29th setup, did they do 30? Did they do 31? Mm-hmm. You know, I want to know those things because all those things, you can't get that in a background investigation, the, the, the mm-hmm. person that they are. You can get, you know, what they've done or where they have it. You can't get that genetic code that you're looking for, mm-hmm. right? The it factor that I'm always looking for, if I, if I can be bold enough to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have Sorry, a, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to take over there. I apologize. No, you're more than welcome. <laughs> this is I, what's supposed to happen. <laughs> I have a Chief Gebhardt story too. I, I don't know if I ever told you, Minerva, how I you know, if you if you look at people ask people who know me in the background industry, they go, Oh, Ken's been doing backgrounds forever. But I was I was a, a working patrol in Wilshire in 1997. And I applied to go to backgrounds. My buddy was working there. He goes, you should go to backgrounds. And I said, okay, I'll apply. So I put my, my request in and the deputy chief who knew me said, no, no, I'm not going to let Ken go to backgrounds. So I got denied going to backgrounds. And my, one of my sergeants that I knew, he goes, you should go talk to him. I go, cool. So I made an appointment with the deputy chief and, and he goes, hey. So I said, hey. And I said, um, he goes, so what's up? I go, um, you know, I applied to go to backgrounds and you, uh, you denied my request and that hurt my feelings. He goes, he said, I hurt your feelings? I go, yeah. And then, uh, and then the next month I was on the transfer to backgrounds and that's my story. Because I, I, I went to the deputy yeah. chief and I told him this, this was not cool that you did this to me. <laughs> and I turned out to be a decent background investigator. So he made a mistake. And uh, so uh, that's how I got in there. Otherwise, if I had just laid down and not, you know, and if I had not gone to him, we would not be on this podcast today. And so. Yeah, it, it, that's amazing. And my first command job is very similar to that. Ken, and sometimes I think character is defined that way. Um, if I get someone to come back to have the nerve to come back in here and say, look, I don't, you didn't make a good, you didn't make a good decision. I'll listen to that. Um, because you, because that took a lot for that person to walk in the door. When I walked into the assistant chief, which is number two in command here. Um, and I said, look, I think I want to be, uh, want to be a commander of patrol. And he looked at me and he goes, what makes you think that you should be a commander of patrol? I said, I, I think I can do a pretty good job at that, at that job. And he laughed me out of the office. He literally <laughs> laughed. He said, you're, there's a line and you're not even in the line to get into that office. And so I, I was, I was pissed. Uh, I took, uh, took counsel with some of my friends and I'm like, you know what? He's not going to get off that easy. I went back into that office a few weeks later. I said, no, I don't, I don't think you're serious. I'm serious. And if you're laughing at me, that's fine. Give me the bar for commander. Give me the bar for assistant chief and give me the bar for chief. And then I'll go do the rest. And he did. He set those bars right all the way up. And it wasn't at the commander level. But when I went in to get assistant chief of police, I said, I've done all the bars that you told me to be chief here. Why wouldn't you select me with this position? I've been doing everything you've been saying to do. And so you can almost candidates can almost get in and say, chief, what kind of officer are you looking for? And if I answer that question and then they come back and they present themselves that they're that officer, how can I not roll the dice on them? Right. Yeah. Someone who believes in themselves is, uh, it's, it's like, I tell candidates all the time, a no doesn't mean a no. A, a no only means something when you give up. And there are so many stories. Minerva, you and I have heard it. I'm sure chief you have where cops, where cops go, I remember that. I, I got turned down a bunch of times. 
until finally someone took a chance on me, but it's because they did not give up. They did not stop sending in applications because they knew in their hearts. And I talk about this quite often um, that I believe I believe police officers are called to police work. I don't think you can work at McDonald's, wake up one morning and go, I think I'm going to be a cop. I don't think it works that way. I think that there are people in their heart of hearts. They know that they want to be a cop and there's nothing that's going to stop them. And they finally, a lot of times they do get that badge because they didn't give up. And so. Yeah, I agree. I agree with all that. A hundred percent. You're usually, you have some affinity to it, for it, around it. And and the stories are not very far off from each other. If you sit down and talk to officers about why they're here, well, they're not far off from it. You know, their upbringing to how they feel, to how they, you know, the range, the attraction to the range or the attraction to, you know, not, not being in an office, their attraction to just making contacts and people. It's, it's funny. They're the, the genetic code is, is you can see it. And that's, you know, during PT test day, I'm starting to look for that genetic code. I'm not looking at their background. I'm looking at them. Mm-hmm. I want to know how they're going to be, not necessarily what that paper says. I got to do all that because that's, that's the legal stuff, right? That keeps your agency safe. But I want to know what kind of uh, male, female I'm getting in the door for sure. And it sounds like you are a very hands-on uh Police chief, would it? You take a real vested interest in who you're potentially hiring or who you're hiring, because you're looking past the background. And there's, you know, being in backgrounds as long as Minerva and I have, and I'm sure Chief, you you are a background investigator too. Is that we read all over the nation that people pass backgrounds, and they're in jail. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's not the background itself, right? It's the, and I think Minerva in all these years we've been doing this, I think Chief Gephardt is the first chief of police that, um, he doesn't, he doesn't ask the question, like the, the, the generic oral interview questions. Why do you want to work for us? You know, oh, because I practice this answer. And so here's my practice answer that I want to give you. And oh, Bravo. Great answer. It's not the oral interview questions that the chief asked. The chief asked is why in your heart of hearts do you think you should be a police officer? And that's and, and uh, chief, you're the first command staff that I've ever run into. Minerva, I don't know if you've run to anybody like that that has that kind of attitude. No, I can't think of it myself. And, you know, I, I did backgrounds for two agencies. So, nope. I can't say that. But what I like about Chief is that he not only asks the questions, but he watches people. Because it's not just anybody can say an answer, right? Mm -hmm. Even try to say something that they believe the other person wants to hear. But it's people's actions that speak louder than words, right? Well, yeah, because you you can get a, a candidate that comes in and laterals are the worst, you know, laterals, <laughs> laterals interview terrible. They're terrible interviewers. They just don't want to talk about themselves. They don't want to talk about themselves. They're you know, usually humble. They're coming in in a humble way. And you got to have some other measurements there that doesn't say, well, it's just cause you didn't get the, you know, why do you want to be a police officer? And he doesn't, you know, he or she doesn't get it right away. You don't want to be like, well, your career's done here. I mean, there's a lot more to it than just that. And, uh, the process is set up in such a way that, that we here can have as much contact as possible. So, and, and, and the first touch point for me is, 
is PT. And, they, and so whether you're in the certified process or you're in a lateral process, and right now we're, we're doing a lap. So everybody out there, we're doing a lateral process uh, for lateral police officers. So if you like what you hear, Fisher's is hiring. Uh, but uh, that was a little, that was a little, <laughs> a little bit for me. <laughs> they sit down, they come in and we, they sit down, they do their waiver on their PT, right? you got to wave them off. So they're all in the room and I go in and I'll, and I'll, it's a Saturday. I'll come in on a Saturday because I think it's important. And I'll, t- I'll talk to them and I'll say, look, you know, this is what you can expect from me. I, and I do this speech a lot. So I know it. And they'll hear me say this three or four times throughout their first year. And so that's the first time they hear it is I'll say, look, you can expect three things from me. I will equip you. I will train you and I will support you if you're making the right decisions out there. And I don't mean you have to be perfect. I mean, I'm going to support you as long as you're not not out there intentionally being a criminal. You I've got your back all the way. You have one job for me is to get bad guys. That's it. You get bad guys. I'll equip you. I'll train you and I'll support you. You get bad guys. Don't forget. That's what I need you to do here. And if you don't want to do that, don't take the test. Just grab your pencil and, you know, because it all starts there in the street. Now, some will say, oh, I command, I want to do these other jobs, but it starts with getting after the bad guys. And the, and the reason I, I do that is I think policing has lost their identity. I think we've lost our identity and what it is we're supposed to be doing. So my staff we like to remind our people of what their identity is and it's police work. Mm-hmm. Your job is to police. And so they'll get that from me throughout the process. And the last, the last time I have a touch point with them is when they exit. Well, I have numerous cause they're hired, but on the day they get out of field training, well, around the day, I'm not going to sit here and lie on your pocket around the day. I'll come, I'll find them on their time. So night shift, whatever they're at, I'll come find them. And, and I tell them, I said, do you remember my, my job to you? And, they don't because they're like, man, I've just had the whole world thrown at me. I just went to the academy. I just did six months of training. And now I don't, I don't remember what you said, chief. And I said, my job is to support you, train you and equip you. Your job is to get bad guys. And then I give them a handcuff key. And I tell them, so this handcuff key is a symbol of you to remind you of what it is you're supposed to be doing for me. If this key is banged up and bent and broken, then you will probably get that next job you're going to be looking for in about three to four years, right? About three to four years is when, veterans start to be veterans and like i want to get swat i want to go get a detective i want to go get the other i want to get something else i'll go but if this key is brand new and i ask to see it you're not going to get that job go to work and i'll go to work for you and that's the touch point you start so they begin to understand what it is i expect of them and then they know what i what they can expect from me and it doesn't and, and i do train them and equip them to the best of our ability here at the police department and support them too so we can go in hours and hours of, of wellness and how we keep our officers healthy. And that's my crossroad with Nick, but the assistant chiefs are the same. They're at the PTs. They're out. If they're, if they're in a cycle here, like they're on their poly or something, we, we all get a text and who can get down and shake the candidate's hand who can tell them, Hey, congratulations. You made another step. Just keep investing and investing and investing. So by the end of it, I really want them to feel like they're not just coming to work like this this place wants me to work for them. That's, mm-hmm. that's the feel I want people to have. And you've got, that makes a huge difference. Oh, good. I'm sorry. That, that makes a huge difference because, you know, people want to be, want to feel like they're part of a family, part of a community. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the chief is doing here. You know, it's like, Hey, we want you here and we're, we want you to succeed. 
So that's yeah. important. And chief, you've got it. You've got it. Uh, you've got a difficult job because if you put me in a position and it's to motivate troops or something like that, I can do that. Now, can I turn around and balance uh, the community and my troops? That's a tough one. How do you how do you uh, accomplish that? Oh, if you look at if you look at my social media, like uh, you know, I'm starting to be better and get more active because you know I got to watch myself because my troops are always watching what I'm doing. Right? They want they they you know they know where I park, they know where I they know where I'm at. They know if I'm taking long lunches. They know when I go home. You know, I go down at 5, 5.15 every day and make sure that squad room sees me that I'm still here and I'm leaving when I'm supposed to be leaving. You know, it's important to me that they know that I'm putting in a day for them. But they know that I expect them to put in a day for me back. So, and that's an even hit. But look, especially the last, you know, 2020, 2021, man, I, it, it was a meat grinder for law enforcement. It was a meat grinder for chiefs. Chiefs lost their jobs. More chief, I could have gone anywhere and worked anywhere in 2020. They were firing people from everywhere. It was like the <laughs> NFL at the end of a season, man. I was like, holy mackerel, they fired so many people. And it's that balance. You just got to, your, your people have to know that you're, you got them, that you have their back and that you're into the law enforcement side of it. And I do, I have a lot of little tricks to make sure they know they're not tricks. They're legitimate. They're time consuming. So they know that I know what's going on with them, you know, and you know, whether they had a use of force or whether they had a, um, a good caper or where they had a good pinch or they got a gun off the street or they got, you know, whatever they're doing, man, I bump into them and let them know that I'm paying attention to the law enforcement side of stuff. But then I also have to go into the community and I got to balance the budget and I got to get the equipment and I got to get the things that I promised them at day one. Remember I got to equip them. I got to train them and they have an expectation because they're out there knocking it out. They want to go to training or they want, you know, the latest and greatest surefire or whatever it is. I got to make sure they have it on them because that's part of my promise. So that means I got to go shake hands and I got to shake babies and hold hands and I got to do all that stuff. But you know, the, the, the great thing is, is that, um, I've got 22 years here. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of known to be the cop chief. So, you know, the mayor kind of touts it a little bit. He, he plays into it a lot. You know, I, I had a, when I was a commander, I ran down an arm guy and he tells that story a million times a Tuesday and my guys love that stuff. So, you know, show up on a traffic stop, get out of your car, wear your uniform, drive a marked unit. You know, that's all, you know, understand that they had a use of force that, uh, that, that, that was, that was big, you know, let them know that, you know, that you're paying attention and you'll keep them. Even as much as you get, you may have to do some of the weakest stuff in the community. It's all a part of being successful at the agency, because if I can't deliver the goods, then we can't police the way we need to police. And you know what? I just tell them, like I'll go to roll calls and I'll tell them, I got to do this interview. It, I hope I do well for you guys. And they just laugh and I'll go do the interview and, and cause I'm representing all of them. Um, but you know, the, my, my greatest asset I think is that I just try to keep it humble and real. They mess up. I mess up. We all mess up. You don't try to put them over a barrel around here. We don't try to run anybody out of here. We don't, we're not trying to, we're not, we're all looking to, to be perfect, but we're all chasing it. No one is perfect. And so I'll mess an interview up or something. They'll forgive me. And, and, and there's, Ken, there's luck there too. I think coming up through SWAT and coming up to my background and being involved in some of the things on the street has bought me credibility as well. Um, mm -hmm. for sure. We, uh, uh, Minerva and I 
uh, have a an agency, a large agency in California that is experiencing some serious issues with recruitment and uh, and then how the chief uh, backs or doesn't back his officers. And I think that that is imploding and it's affecting recruitment because um, he and can't morale. Yeah. And morale. And, and he, so he can't, he, the, the, the uh, officers aren't happy with him and the, the community isn't happy with him. And the politicians aren't happy with him because recruitment's down by 50% and they can't get people in the door because it's just a mess. <laughs> and so I have, I have an opinion about that, but it sounds like you are well-liked. And there were, I remember there was a, a sergeant that I used to work for, and uh, her name is Laura Perna. She's since retired, but man, I know that everybody that worked in her squad, they would go to, they would go to battle with her. If she said, strap on a gun, we're going to go out and we're going to take this, whatever we would, we would climb that hill and we would take it because uh, Sergeant Perna said, let's go. And uh, you seem to be that type of chief. And there's a lot of chiefs and they hit the news. The ones that don't back their officers are the ones that hit the news a lot. But you seem to really do a fine balancing act with the community and the officers. And it, and it, it directly affects your recruitment efforts because people say, I want to work for a department that is like that. And it's and I don't think you have a problem with recruitment in your in your city. Well, you get you know, it's funny you say that. Um, uh, I see two two chiefs generally. You know, I, I look at it and I kind of if I get into a room with other chiefs, I can kind of see either they're really politically savvy. You know, they got that game down tight and and they're just bought in and they believe everything that's coming out of the chief's mouth. And then the department's like, get this clown out of here. They can't breathe, right? Um, I've seen those chiefs, and then you see the other side, or the chief's trying to be—he's the guy's guy, or the cop's cop, as you would say—but he doesn't have the political clout um, or the or the backing at the political level to get the things you need. You know, because the the politics aren't in check, then the money stops flowing, right? You're mm-hmm. not, you're not, your training budget's not good, or you're not going to get the four or five percent that you need to hit each year to make everybody. You know, the price of milk is going up in this country, and so the rate the money's got to go up too, and. So you either have one or the other. The disaster, Ken, is when you don't have either. That's the disaster. And so the the funny thing to me is, is people do ask me, like, what, what are you, you're young, what are you going to do? Everyone wants to know what you're going to do next. You know, you leaving tomorrow, what are you going to do next? You know, and I always tell them, say, it's up to you guys. It ain't even up to me. And they don't know what I mean. I go, you guys, the agency, if our mayor loses a, a race, the agency will decide who leads them. The public safety money that goes into the fire and police is the biggest haul of a city's budget, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. no mayor is going to come in to a police house that's upside down because they want their leader to stay. So really, in the end, who's working for who? They're going to decide how long I stay here. I'm not. And when they're ready for me to leave, I'll leave. Um, that's not today, thank God, because it's Friday and I got to take the wife out to eat tonight. But um <laughs> They have the say and and they have the say in that whatever city that is, because those officers are going to yell and scream until they get the support they're looking for. And let me let me just get into that just for a minute. If we would understand us, me, not you guys, 
that if you take care of them, they will take care of you, period. There, that's not even a secret, right? That's if you read any kind of a leadership book, you know, it's your ship. You know, you want to read any, any kind of the books that are out there that you read. It'll tell you, take care of your people. And so here it's family first. It's a family first hallway. You got a problem, go take care of it. You know, I've, my commanders will work shifts if they need to, if you got to go home. Um, you know, we, I just, I don't take it very serious. You don't, you need to take care of your family. You got to take care of yourself. We got to help you take care of yourself sometimes because that's the job. We have a good wellness program. Um, we balance, we have, you know, we have all the things they would need to stay mentally, physically healthy. And so that atmosphere thrives they work and they go out and the cars are moving the cars never stop moving here at the worst time ever when policing sucked and we were everybody's enemy we still were working here and we and and the crazy here's the crazy thing about that two weeks into covid was march 6th of 2020 and on the following that was our first case of covid before it ever broke anywhere in the state of indiana and i knew the following week we were gonna um, dissipate the workforce send everybody home so we sent everybody home because we didn't know what we were dealing with. Everybody's scared. Remember those days? They mm-hmm. were, that was a good time, yeah. right? I think I lost <laughs> 20 and 21. I don't even, I count them as together now. I think it was yes. one big year of stupidity. But um, two weeks into that, I sent them home two weeks in. They were like, ah, oh, you jumped the gun. I, I called everybody on my roster, every officer, every staff, everybody. I called them. Took three days to do it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I called them. Checked in on everybody. How you doing? How's your family? How's everything going? Uh, and they're like, you shouldn't have shut it down, man. You're crazy. You jumped the gun. This is nothing. You know, I had it all back and forth. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm making the best decision I can. Hang with me. We'll keep you updated. Two more weeks go by. I call the roster again. Called everybody. By that time, some of our officers have been getting sick, and they were now out. And so it, it hit us mm-hmm. to some degree. And they were like, man, you're a genius. You, you, you send everybody home and you're good. That's good. You're doing a good thing and we're good and we're with you. Okay, great. Everybody's good. They understand why we sent them home. seems like we're on, we're, we're on good pace here. Two more weeks go by. I call everybody again. Third time. Guess what the resounding message was? It's time to go back to work, chief. It's time to go back to work. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Finally figured out who you married, huh? But, uh, they, uh, 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 everybody, you know, all, it wasn't a hundred percent on each of those calls. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But that third phone call, six weeks in, my team was ready to come back to work. So I challenged the leaders. I'm like, how can we come back to work and keep them safe? You know, we were doing traffic stops and sandwich bags where the license went into the sandwich bag. You hand the bag to the you know, the officer would drop the license in the bag. The officer would go back and run the license. <laughs> Can't even imagine that. It was, it was pitiful. You know, the mask, you know, the mask, everybody's yelling like, license comical and serious in so many ways, but we had um, two murder suicides uh, about two weeks after we came back. And uh, had we had not gotten back to work, we would not have been ready for that. On one of those, seven of my uh, officers caught gunfire. And so Ooh. we were in check, we were ready to go and we were balanced and we were back to work. And I don't know that we would have come out the way we did had we not gotten back to work. And, and, res- and it was because they were ready. So back to my first case in point, and who's really in charge? You know, this chief of this city is is not in charge. He's not running that ship. And, and I feel bad for him. And I feel bad for those officers. But uh, take care of your people. Just take care of them. 
Well, I we, don't know what the question was. Recruitment? You want to talk about recruitment? Just uh, <laughs> we're going to get to that. I have one question. We're going to take a quick break, and then uh, we're going to. I have a question for you uh, uh, in uh, relation to what we were talking about earlier. So we'll be right back. Policebackground.net is the premier background investigation prep site with veteran investigator Ken Rival, who spent 16 years conducting over 1,400 LAPD backgrounds. For more information, go to policebackground.net. I do want to get into, into your recruitment and your, your backgrounds. Sure. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is Minerva and I talk a lot about on the podcast about research, researching the agencies you want to work for. And a lot of, a lot of police candidates, they see a badge and that's all they see. They don't look at, at uh, retirement benefits, uh, percentages, medical benefits into retirement and all that. So what's your take on, and also, also (laughs) I tell them, check the news because the articles will tell you if police officers are getting hammered in one agency versus another, what's your take on, on office, on, candidates actually researching the departments that they're looking at rather than just seeing, Oh, I want to wear, you know, a cool badge. Well, we, we look, it's the same thing you opened up with. Um, they're here cause it's a calling and this is the only occupation that I'm aware of that people are willing to do for free. They'll come out and be reserved for, they'll put their lives on the line for free. Think mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody went down at key bank working for free. There ain't nobody working in other places for nothing. Um, but in law enforcement, you have it. And so that's always been interesting to me to some degree. Um, I came out of the academy and didn't pay attention to any of that. I made 21700 a, a year. That was my starting pay. And uh, I didn't care. I was the happiest person that I could be. And I never regretted a day of it. And I think it's because that's the calling side of it. Um now, what I do to make up for that is because I don't want them pushing a squad at, at 65 and can't walk because, you know, we get in here and we don't pay attention to any of it. Um, in our, we call them field days, we bring financial planners in. You know, I always tell you, it's like the first 10 years, you're not going to care. But that second 10 years, you're going to be wishing that you paid into the 457. You're mm-hmm. going to be wishing that you paid attention to these things. So we try to force feed that and try to help to make good decisions in terms of, you know, what percentages they give, you know, to the 57 or, you know, their pensions and whatnot, so they can retire healthy and happy and, and get out of here. I don't like retirements that you're pushing them out because they, you know, they had a, I, I don't call them fit for duties. I call them return to works. I don't, I don't, they're, they're always just evaluations of where a person is not necessarily to determine their badge and gun status. And so I'd rather get guys going or gals going to their next, thing happy with a smile on their face rather than man it's, just, it's over you know you gotta you gotta go and it, it comes way too fast and way mm-hmm. too soon so um i would i would echo with you ken and say man research everything about everyone because it will tell you now i think they do i have people here from lapd that are on my job here i have people from pennsylvania florida i have laterals from all over the united states that work in the Midwest of Indiana. Look, I didn't even know this place existed until I met my wife. And she said, you know, this place called uh, Fishers. I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I was, and, you know, and so what draws them here or what brings them here? I think there is a percentage that's researching, but I think can a mass majority is just 
they they're, they want to serve. They want to get on the job. They want to put themselves in harm's way, and they want to they want to save the communities. And they, it's just such an honor to do the job that I think that they look right past any of that. I can tell good agencies because they're not in the news, <laughs> you know, for bad stuff. <laughs> Minerva, you worked well, I always, for. I, I always, but I always balance that. I always say, uh, uh, I always tell the mayor. I said, uh, you know, uh, dogs don't uh, bark at uh, park cars, sir. So they're gonna be stirring it up. We're gonna get some complaints. You know, that means they're working. Oh uh, yeah. They can't be too quiet. Yeah. Just the right amount. We don't want them in the news getting arrested, and we don't want them. And I mean, a lot of that is recruitment too. But it's not just on recruitment. Um, to if you hire a bad officer, it's on leadership too of your agency. What are you? What kind of things are you portraying? Allowing. What are you willing? What are you willing to negotiate? Um, you know, are you a culture where you're going to enable, or are you a culture where you're going to handle it and make successful people in your organization? Yeah, I think I hopefully we're the latter of the two. And Minerva, I want to ask you something here. You you experienced you you got hired by LAPD. So at the time you got hired, it was what ninety five hundred officers, something like that. I don't know what it was back. I don't know. Whatever. Back in ninety nine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then, and then, so you, you were going into a large agency, but then through circumstances, you ended up with a smaller agency, uh, which is very family atmosphere and things like that. Do you, what's mm -hmm. your, do you, what, what would you say to people who, when I say research the departments, um, are you a proponent of smaller agencies because of the, the family type of atmosphere or the larger agencies where, you know, I don't know, the money is or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, like that, you said, I, my whole, my dream since I was like four or five years old was to become a police officer. So, you know, I grew up in LA, I saw LAPD and by chance, you know, when I was in college, there was a career day and that, that's how I found out about Glendale PD, which is where I ended up doing my career. But there was a huge difference for me personally, it was important not to just be a number, you know, but at the time when I applied with LAPD, I just wanted to get my foot in the door. I wanted to be a cop and I wanted to be a cop in LA because that's where I grew up. That's what I grew up seeing. But then when I got to Glendale, it was very family oriented, you know, and everybody knew each other. You know, Glendale PD is like one division of LAPD. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? The entire police agency is one division of LAPD, right? It, but I like that, you know, there were, they would have barbecues, they would have, you know, bring your family to this, bring that. And then when I fell out of the LAPD Academy, they called me and were like, hey, do you want your job back? You know what I mean? So the fact that they took me in now, I was a good employee. That's why they brought me back in, too. Right. Because if had I been a bad employee, they wouldn't have extended that to me either. But um, I really like that. But there are pros and cons to that as well. When you work for smaller agencies, the chances of promoting are less than if you were to work with a bigger agency. So when I went back to LAPD as a background investigator, there were academy classmates of mine that were now lieutenants. I probably wouldn't have been a lieutenant at my agency, you know, because literally people have to die before you can promote sometimes. It just works that way. So there are pros and cons to that. Now, when I, I didn't know, I also didn't pay attention to how much I was going to get paid when I got hired by both agencies. 
Um, I was just happy to be on the job, you know, but when I went to the, when I went to Rio Hondo Academy and I started seeing other uh, officers from other agencies come to recruit the pre-service or the people that put themselves through the academy and I would look at their job bulletins. That's when I realized how much I was getting paid compared to other agencies. And Glendale has always been one of the top paid agencies at the time. I don't know now. One of the top paid agencies in L.A. County. Hmm. You know, so that was important to me. Now, I was very fortunate. Now, unlike um, the chief who makes, you know, brings in financial advisors. So, you know, he can let his, Mm -hmm. you know, his officers know like, hey, you know, this is important. It's not just about the now. You got to think about your future. I was very fortunate that my first team, I was in the what I call the dinosaur team. There were like guys that had 25 years and up. And I remember sitting in our uh, in our patrol room waiting for a lineup. And this officer back then, the, the rookies would sit in the front row and all the older officers would sit in the back because they would talk all kinds of smack about the rookies, about the boots. Right. So one day I'm sitting there and, and I had to show up an hour early. That was just expected. You show up an hour before lineup. You study, you sit there, you study, you know, you do whatever you have to do. And so one of the guys, one of the officers came and sat next to me. And in my mind, I'm like, what is he doing? Why is he sitting next to me? <laughs> and he asked me, he's like, are you contributing to defer comp? I didn't know what defer comp was. And he was like, I was like, no, sir. And he was like, do you know what defer comp is? And I said, no, I don't know. He's like, it's savings for retirement. And he was like, are you married? No. Do you have kids? No. He's like, max out. I had no idea what he was talking about, but he was like, when Herbie comes, Herbie was my first training officer. He's like, when Herbie comes, you tell him to walk you to finance and you sign up and you max it out. So here comes my T.O., He didn't even let me tell my T.O. He told him, he's like, hey, Herbie, you walk that young lady to finance and sign her up for her deferred comp. And that's how I signed up. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that some of my money was going to the 457 or deferred comp, as we call it. And I contributed throughout my entire career. Now, when I had, you know, then I started learning more. And then also around that time, my agency got what's called three at 50, Um, And, you know, I know LAPD is different. They have their own pension. But three at 50 meant that you can retire at age 50 and however many years of service you had, you multiply by three. So let's say you start at 20, you retire at 50. That's 30 years. You multiply that by three. You get 90 percent of your income as part of your pension. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really good. Strong, yeah. Right. You know, and. It was a big deal, but I didn't know why it was a big deal, you know, and because I just didn't care about that stuff. But mm-hmm. now, you know, now that I've been retired and now, you know, I work, I still work in, as an investigator with a city of, you know, a city department. All that stuff is very important because I'm looking at retiring in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. So all of that, like if you don't understand what that is, if you don't know what it is. Do your research, do yourself a favor because your 20 year old self will thank you or actually your 50 year old self or 60 year old self will thank you. Don't depend on Social Security. It's not going to be there. It's not there for people now. The average Social Security check is seventeen hundred dollars a month. That's not even rent, especially depending where you live. Mm-hmm. Definitely not than, in California. <laughs> it's, more than, it's more than my first pay. Uh, <laughs> I think that um, 
Great point. I think we are doing a good job. And this is why I think that we are all doing a good job is here recently. And I think maybe 2020 has something to do with this too, but Mm -hmm. um, I'm seeing more people retire at like 22 to 28 years of service. You know, back when I was kind of coming up the rank and file, it was, it was very common to see, you know, 35 to that 40 year mark Mm -hmm. was still on the job. And I think what's happened there is, is people are wising up and starting to get smarter about, um, you know, that money early. So they, they can move on to something that's healthy for them. And by the way, you cat, you just categorized me as a dinosaur. Uh, I, don't know I, I don't know why I appreciate that. Well, the, well this is back from, in 2000. This is back yeah, in 2000. It came, came from a place of love, so I'm okay. Well, if she categorized you as a dinosaur, that makes me fossil, a fossil. <laughs> She just called me a dinosaur. I got to tell you, I got to mention a couple things on what you said, Minerva, is that in a small agency, unless someone dies, you can't promote unless you're Chief Gebhardt, who says, hey, you need to promote me. And then they just (laughs) say, well, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, I think the answer is, and and I worry about this. So, you know, I literally, I became chief kind of overnight. There was an incident here. And if you read the articles, you probably caught it. But I became an interim chief overnight. It was unexpected. Um, and, uh, um, one of the things I was worried about is a young command staff at the time that I came in, two of the commanders had a very lengthy history of 30, 30 years of service. They had already announced their retirements prior to me becoming chief. So I was going to lose most of my command staff in a pretty, pretty easy swoop. Mm. So I was thinking to myself, man, we're, we're in trouble because that means these commanders are going to be in these seats for a long time. And then. Mm-hmm. You can be a really good organization. You can be, and you can have all the right things clicking for you, but people in this organization, they want to advance and they're going to want to move and they're going to want to have chances to move up. And they're going to have to know that they have those opportunities. So we go out of our way to make sure we create those opportunities. And one of those ways I think you can do it is, is we've linked up with a program with private industry that helps to place our officers, hopefully get them careers in a, and it's something we're just breaking out now is to get officers to move on to their other careers. So it creates, like I just lost one Mm. of my commanders uh, two weeks ago. He took, he was a support division commander. He had uh, 33 years of service on and an opportunity came in the community that I, that I could have been selfish. I didn't want to replace him. I didn't want to train somebody new, but instead we went out and helped him to get this position and this job in the city so he could retire happy and move on to something. And he's making more money than he was making here. That is where I want people to end their career, not on the other side of it. I think if we're crafty and I do think that the talent pool here is going to get plugged. I have, I have very, very good leaders that are much smarter than me that I think will go on to be chiefs in other areas close to us. And I think that'll create a movement that'll create ability as well. So in my short few, almost four years now, we've had enough mobility and enough uh, movement here that it hasn't been too much of an issue. Um, and I've always just got to be keen on that. And as a, as a chief, I got to be crafty, right? Maybe we need to create some opportunities and positions that we're very task forced out. There could be leadership positions there that we could seek and, and get and destroy or, or move people around so we can have those opportunities present themselves. I'm not up against that yet, but man, my mind is on that. I mean, we are creatures of, of movement, need, and, and want to succession planning, and all that has to be a part of being good leaders. Yeah, I, I want to go work for Fisher's PD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Seriously, like, man, you know, you're, you, you are young, and people can't see you, but you, you know, I, I, I see you, you're very young, 
but no, you, no, just your way of thinking is like <laughs> he's a <still> dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> no but his way of thinking <sighs> you, you think way out of the box and you but you you think out of the box with your staff with your personnel in mind and that is admirable because like ken mentioned we don't see that anymore we really don't I didn't see it in my career. I had a chief that supposedly had an open door policy. And when I took advantage of it, I was pretty much dismissed by it, you know? And then my, 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 my captain was upset because I took advantage of it. And my, my thing was like, Hey, if you have a problem with his open door policy, then you go take it with the chief now with me mm-hmm. for taking advantage of it. But, you know, it's almost like, so I love that, that you think about your, you really truly have your, personnel's you know interests at heart and you know they you truly want them to succeed it's just so refreshing to see that so kudos to you i i thank you um you know i hear this and i sometimes i don't know how to react um because one i'm a cop and i i don't know how to take compliments very well but thank you um i think that um i don't know what other chiefs do. I haven't had time to sit and stew on it, but I just think that we're doing what I think we ought to be doing instead of what I think we should be doing. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is I just don't, we don't make too many decisions in a vacuum and the command staff is communicating pretty good and all the problems are out there for us to vet ourselves. I, and I don't, when I get into that room with them, we're moving the agency together and we make sure we include the roll calls in the line and we try to see where the, the we want to know where the uh, where the needle is in the agency so we can move the agency to wherever it needs to be. In but terms that's probably of, it. Your communication, right? You're oh, communicating with everybody in your agency. And that is so important. And that is hard. where a lot of chiefs lack that. It is hard, but you're doing it. It but pisses, you're doing it, it and it's showing, it, right? It pisses people off. <laughs> I, uh, oh, well, <laughs> well it, they're good. They're good. But, you know, when you're going down the hallway and, and I am accessible and I do go through the building and I and I I do have an open door policy and I will talk to anybody and I'll make sure that the cell phone gets put down for those conversations. And because uh, I want to know, I want to know how to be better. I want to know how to move our agency in a better situation for all of our officers and the command staff. They just don't, we just don't get too cooked up. Um, there's no, this is me and this is that, you know, the, one of, one of the finer moments that look, the juice of my, the squeeze, the, the juice worth the squeeze for me anymore. Cause it used to be kicking doors and, and running down people. That's why I got into the business. It's hearing them, us get out of their way to go do that. So that's the juice of my squeeze. Like, man, if, if, if they can come in and we can deconflict all of the, the crap and they can just get out there and be police that's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to get in the way of that. And so if we, if we maintain that, now everything else that comes in between, if you want to be an innovative agency, if you want to be outside the box and you want an agency that is cranking on new ideas and we are, we got rapid DNA flowing here. We're knifing our guns and DNA and pulling prints off shell cases. We're doing things that people said small agencies couldn't do. We're doing big things. That's because we have an environment where people are, it's okay to dare to be different and dare to be better. So the ideas from the lowest line officers are as valid as the ideas from the upper administration. And we will put, we will move forward on a good idea. And this is the, here's the deal. This is what I, over and over again. So I get an officer that has an idea, like, I want to do this. 
And I've been here a while and I'm like, Oh, we did that six years ago. It didn't work out. But I don't say that. I just say, Hey, go get it, you know, go get it. And you know, another leader will go, Hey man, we tried that six years ago. I go, yeah, but he or she seems pretty excited. I think they can actually pull it off this time. I just got to wait and see what happens here. And sometimes you just, I get shot and like, they did it better than the, the first time six years ago with different idea and different twists. So you just never shut an idea down. If you shut people's ideas down, then they stop coming up to you with them. And then you're not innovating and you're not moving the agency forward. And then you're not that creative think thought process you want to be. You're just stuck. And I think agencies get there pretty fast because they get caught up in, oh, I got to file a piece of paper with this person and I got to go see this person. But I have someone tell me the other day, they're like, hey, I'm going to get a proposal. Hey, don't go write a proposal. Just tell me what the hell it is. I don't want you to waste your time. <laughs> just tell me what you got. First of all, I fall asleep when I read stuff. So just tell me what you want to do. And they'll just tell me. And I'm like, there's no need. To, there's a few times where I've said, because my officers are probably going to listen to this podcast. There's a few of you that have had to write proposals just because <laughs> it went across the street to the guy that reads that stuff. But um, never, never shoot an idea down, man. You know, keep people, keep people cranking. Yeah. But I think that's the important part. Like you based on this interview and based on what you're saying about your agency, nobody in your agency who is command staff is caught up under titles. Uh-huh. And that is the important part because that can happen in smaller agencies and big agencies. Right, Ken? Mm-hmm. People get caught up in their titles like, how dare you? I am the so-and-so. <laughs> I'm so-and-so. Right. And my mind is like, hey, at the beginning of the day, we all put our pants in the same way. So you know, like hear me out let me give you an idea you know especially if the department has an issue you know chiefs out there if any chiefs listen to this please listen to chief Gephardt. please please take notes mm-hmm. <laughs> I, roll in. I roll in and this is where i create havoc sometimes i roll in and most today is not that day it's friday so i didn't feel like wearing a uniform today so i get to do that occasionally but four out of the five days of the week i'm wearing a uniform and I'm wearing the uniform so they know that I still wear their uniform. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen I've seen agencies that have, this agency in particular that was all golf shirt out, the whole staff, everybody. And I think you start to lose your identity. So driving the car in, the mark car in, and listening to the radio and wearing a uniform. When I walk in the hallway, sometimes I don't even remember who I am or what I am. It becomes abundantly clear to me when I see my name on one of their IDs. I'm like, oh, shit, <laughs> I'm responsible for all this here. Mm. You know, I get that feeling, that that scared moment of this is on me. But it takes those acts for me to really come into that um, the chief type bubble. And I think that people need to start understanding that we're just stewards of that title for a short period of time. I'm going back to Ed at some point. And when I do that, I want to live a healthy, long life. And if you get caught up in the power of this thing, it ain't going to be with you forever. Mm-hmm. And the officers, they can smell that down the hallway around the corner mm-hmm. so fast. They know what you're doing. And it's just not the way we want to roll here. And and, it, and really, mindset-wise, I, I, I think I'm just lucky there in terms of the who's around me. Like, the, the people that generally are around me are just so much smarter than me and, and they're really talented. And I think that they helped to make so many good decisions that – if you can get everybody in a room and if it's operation or tactical, I can, I'm not, I can make a decision, but if we're sitting here talking about how we're going to grow this department, it's all of us in a room together. And then sometimes it's a roll call visit or sometimes it's a dinner visit or sometimes it's, you know, getting the car and ride with an officer to figure out if we're moving in the right direction. 
And then how can you necessarily go too many, how can you fall into too many snares if, if so many people say, man, this is, this seems like a pretty good idea. We should take the organization in this direction. It usually works out if you bring that many people into the think tank. Or you could come in the room and go, I'm chief and I'm making the decision and this is it. <laughs> and then those dudes, those dudes jump in the trench and they frag you with their grenades because they know that it, it wasn't right from the start. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is this, it's okay to be wrong, man. It's, it's okay just to say, ah, man, I, I blew that one. I've made selections here where I've gone to some of my detectives and I'm like, yeah, I screwed that one up. (laughs) (laughs) I was in a meeting. I was in a meeting one time with a, with a captain and someone asked the captain something and, and they said, blah, blah, blah. Um, how come we we're doing it this way? And the captain's response was, and this is exactly what you're talking about, Minerva. The captain's response was, uh, because I'm the captain and you're not. And that was just such a leadership moment for me, you know, but, uh, I'll kick in, I'll kick in real quick. I know you're going to take it in a different direction, but you know, your officers are people Mm -hmm. when they ask you why, um, leaders don't generally like the why, but um, let me, let me frame the why for this is, this is what balances me. We're not a why generation. We're a why nation. The, the very first thing when George Washington took over the American armies, the revolutionaries, he rode into camp where they were training. He wrote two things down in his notes of the American army that he was about to lead. They're undisciplined and they always ask why. We've been asking why our whole life. The only problem with why is if you're the dude or the gal that don't have the answer to why. Mm-hmm. And I think in leadership, you get caught up with, man, I got to have the answer. You don't. There's something very human about, I don't know. <laughs> I'll go, I'll go read it. I'll go figure it out. And there's somebody, there's somebody in the department that's smarter that will know that answer. I think we get caught up with just needing to know everything about everything. And, and, and I, hell I don't. So, and I don't know that I want to work for someone that does. I'm just saying. I, I went, uh, there was a doctor that I used to have and he, and I would go to the doctor and I'd say, Hey, this is happening, blah, blah, blah. And what do you think about that? And he goes, Hmm, give me a second. He'd walk out the, out the room. He'd come back in with a book, a medical book. And he goes, let me see. He goes, look at that. <laughs> and he would, he didn't know the answer. And I always thought doctors, they knew everything. Nope. I looked right here in this book and this is the answer. And so that told me that even the, you know, the smartest guy in the room doesn't necessarily know the answer and they have to go do some research on it, which is fine. You know, well, um, that's why our, uh, that's why our, uh, uh, sergeants promotions and Lieutenant promotions are open book criminal code. Wow. There's no, there's no way, like there's no, no way that, you know, they, they have that in the field. It's in the trunks of their cars. They get it out at the other. Everybody's like, well, do you know the statute? I don't know. I got to go get the book out of the trunk of the car. <laughs> so I just give it to them on the test because you can't expect them. You can't expect people to do different things at different times in your organization to the case in point of the doctor. He knows. Look, so we do the open Fourth Amendment book. We do an open book on the criminal code. And then, you know, yet I, I wait the interview heavier than the test because yeah. I'm not a test taker kind of guy. So we just... <laughs> We just build it that way and we go that way. But, uh, um, and also it's practicing medicine. That's what my doctor always says. <laughs> practicing. Said, it's practicing medicine. I'm still learning. I'm like, great. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I want to, I want to move into something that's near and dear to my heart. And that's, uh, uh, hiring backgrounds, all that type of stuff in 20 in 2019, 2020, 
it's pretty much sucked for police officers and it was just, and it's affected recruitment since then. Um, and I, and I, I, I usually, I try not to mention names of police departments, but I'm going to go ahead and throw out LEPD because they were in the news in the LE times last week. It's a big, huge story that mm-hmm. LEPD can't keep up with attrition and they lose easily. They lose 500 plus officers a year. And now with all this stuff going on, they're losing a ton more. They can't, can't keep up with it. Their goal was to have, was to hire 720 officers, Minerva, this fiscal year. Um, yeah, which is from July to July. Which That's is, it's an impossibility. It's an impossibility to hire that many people. And they have a the whole diversity, inclusivity officers, and they have a whole unit, an LEPD unit that's dedicated to this whole thing. And I, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering chief, the challenges for hiring are they're doing a a lot of agencies are doing all this stuff. And yet the candidates are not walking through the door. Um, And I'm kind of wondering what your thoughts are on hiring and in 2022, and what the challenges are and are are your is your agency facing the same challenges that everybody else is kind of um not that i don't need 720 people i know that but uh, <laughs> i need six um, um you we have to you have to adapt um you have to be strategical before now like i sensed this in 2020 you know what i'm going through like how many am i going to lose because um, this is not good for young rookies to be enduring right now. And so part of that back then was we got to combat it with, you know, I did some roll call visits and, you know, roll call needed to know that I had their back because uh, everybody was like uh, pissed off at the blue uniform. And then uh, they wanted to know that politics was in line because politics is ruining a lot of great police departments. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of chiefs that are, you know, suffering because they, because of that's happening as well. Right. So I brought the mayor over and the mayor addressed anybody and everybody uh, in two different visits that wanted to hear him say, you know, I got you. You know, if you're doing the right thing at the right time with good intention, not a mistake. Look, it ain't perfection. I'm telling you, man, it ain't perfection out there. You guys know you've both been on the job. We're going to get into it. We're going to have our issues. But as long as you have good intent, you're doing what you're supposed to do. The mayor and me have your back. And he looked at me square in front of all of them and said, if the chief chief's got your back, I got your back with you. And uh, um, then case in point, a couple of our task force officers uh, who are down in Indianapolis are suffering uh, uh, some politics down there that, uh, you know, the prosecutors, uh, uh, there were some issues and there was some worry about um, maybe prosecuting officers down there doing enforcement. So I went to those task force officers and I said, hey, you want me to pull you out? You want to get out of the fight? And my officer said, do you have my back? I said, I got your back. And I said, hell no, man, I want to go to work. You know, I want, to be, I want to be the police. And so strategically, I was doing that. So when candidates come through the door, I wasn't doing that uh, just for hiring, but hiring plays into that. Because if the if your best source of people coming in the door are the people who work for you now. Mm-hmm. So if they know that we got them and we got their back, and I think I'm known for that. I mean, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always cautious about being too arrogant or cocky because I, I don't want to mess up a good thing. So I feel like they know that I have their back. And so when they go talk to other recruits, I got, uh, I got 12, you know, officers from, you know, um, the agency in the South. I shouldn't name anybody on the podcast, but, you know, I got a lot of their officers in my process now. And uh, 
I think that's because my team is recruiting them saying, you know, come to work up here. We're allowed to be the police and the politics has got us and our chief has got us. And we don't got to worry every time we make a traffic stop that we're going to get sued and lose our lives and, you know, pension. And then, you know, everything that goes with losing a gun. And so some of that is strategic in mind of I got to get ready because this is going to cause our profession a lot of harm. Here's the hope. Let me let me leave you. I'm not ready to get off or anything, but let me leave you with an awesome conversation. Here's some hope for both of you. Because Minerva needs hope. I can see that right now. <laughs> in 2020, my nephew came on the job. He's the first one in the family to follow. I was the first to walk into this career. And he came on the job in 2020, the worst year ever. And I was sitting with him. And I tell, I tell, I've told this story a lot um, because it, it helps officers to understand. And it helps me to understand. It makes me feel about where we're at. I said, man, I really wish that you were the police you know, 20 years ago with me. And he goes, yeah, why is that? And I go, well, he, we used to be able to raise our right hand and they believe us. And what we said went and, you know, we, it was a different, it was a respect and you know, the uniform meant something. And it, I just feel like those things are lost. Now we got to film everything. And even when you film everything, they still don't want to watch the video with you. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to see it. You know, I'm like, well, did you come in watch the video? It's here. We got to film everything, record everything and you know, question everything. And you can't just raise your hand anymore. And, and people believe you. And, uh, policing was just different 20 years ago. It was just different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he goes, that's all right. He goes, I know what I'm getting into. And so do the people that are getting in with me and we'll do just fine. And and what he was telling me is, is he's aware of the adversity and he still wants to be on the job. So we still have, it was Alex and Mike at the beginning of the show, have been grinding it out for 14 years, looked at 2020 and said, sign me up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, they're still out there. And so, our recruitment is low, but we've had to strategically do things to lead and, and create a culture of self-recruitment that's helped. I haven't had a hard time getting them in. I'm still turning a lot of people away that don't, um, that can't pass certain things. I haven't had to lower my standards. I've had to diversify my standards, which means is I have to understand that I'm hiring. I'm trying to hire different cultures. And I have to understand that that there's differences in those kind of tests and things you have to do. Um, when you're breaching outside and trying to get different cultures in your department, because we are an agency on the North border of Indianapolis. And, and, and this was a predominantly white community 22 years ago, and it's not anymore. So we need to reflect our community. So we need to get good in those endeavors and we have, and we're improving there. And so that helps. And, and getting, you know, showing up at the test day, they hear about it. The chief shows up at the test day and that's important to me. And the staff shows up and they shake your hand and they call you. So we're recruiting as much and as harder than we ever have. And so we're now testing all the time. Whereas when I got on, it was one test and there'd be three, 400 people in the room. Mm-hmm. And then you run that out and your shot was next year. We are literally are hiring all the time now mm. because I'm racing, not because I don't think we can get good candidates because I'm racing everybody else around me at the best candidates as well. So like I just got done with a certified process and now I'm moved right into a lateral process and I'm already announcing my certified process because I'm going to crank. I'm just going to keep going because I'm competing for people because I do think there's a shorter amount out there that are actually like, let sign me up for, I think there's a shorter amount that, that are saying, sign me up for the job, mm-hmm. but I'm not hurting. We're not, in a, we're not in a place of hurt, but we are, we're, we're not understaffed. Um, in fact, I'm staffed really well on the road going into the summer. Last summer I wasn't. Um, so I think we're doing okay. Um, 
I think it's, I think we just got to get different about how we, you know, the video I showed you yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, we got to put a video out about allowing our officers to be police again, you know, cause I've, I'm a real <laughs> believer. If there's one thing you'll get from me is like, I, I believe that we, we get in this to be the police. And I think we lose that along the way somewhere and that goal, that goal gets shifted a little bit. And I just want officers and laterals to know that if they come here, I'm going to, I'm going to expect that they be the police. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, I think there's, there's value in that. I think people are coming here because of that, quite honestly. Yeah, Minerva, I'll send you, I'll send you the chief's video that he sent me. It's super badass. Super badass. I want to see it. I like it. My my staff, because once again, not in a vacuum, my original video was very strong. It was very Nick Ed strong. And I was like, man. My uh, my AC say he saves my butt. He comes in. He goes, ah, you can't do that, man. You got you to slow it down. your roll. You got to slow your roll, man. And so I, we we ended up there. But I really like the end product. But that's again, that's us having to do something different. You know, social media videos, recruitment, mm-hmm. hiring all the time, trying to find the best people. Yeah, it's like a neat thing because you know agencies their recruitment videos have really stepped it up because of social media you've mm-hmm. had to right yeah. you know so you know i'm always sending ken videos that i see from agencies near me like hey check out this video yeah, cool check out that video. it's a, it's yeah. like uh the videos are like uh they're like tiktok videos they got the mm-hmm. hit music they got the cool it's not like police officers running i'm running to this call it's like the police officers just doing cool stuff they got the cool music and they're and i and they're they're attracting the the young people that they need to reach out to and and the old days of these static advertisements and things um are 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 kind of a thing of the past and you have to be able to reach your core audience which is the young the young people um you uh, you mentioned that you're hiring. We have lateral. We have police officers listening to the podcast, and they're looking for lateral opportunities too. What uh, you know? I wanted to mention that one of the things that I've I have had trouble with is um, in that story about LAPD last week. They mentioned that the chief the chief was a little irritated <laughs> about the whole thing, and they're all this finger pointing. But they said that that they wanted to hire classes of 60 per month. They were getting 40 and this class in March was 30. So they're at about a 50% mark and, and you can't keep up with attrition there. And I think the problem is their, their model of recruitment where they put all their eggs in one basket and to try and do this, this, um, I don't know, 2022 style of recruiting and they can't even, the recruiters don't even have money to go south to San Diego, which is what, what's like two hours two south, hours. two hours south of LA. They, they won't give them the money for the recruiters to go. And then we had, uh, we had Washington state recruitment on the podcast a few weeks ago. They fly to other States. They have, they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok. They're doing all these things that other agencies are not. And they have, I went and visited their recruitment unit. It is super cool. Their recruitment unit is just so, my nervous. I'm jealous. so jealous by that. You're I jealous. Am. You are. I was like, I'm gonna fly up there and meet you guys for lunch. <laughs> and go. Well, so see, you guys still owe me. <laughs> we don't have the, uh, you know, the the whole. We have. Uh, I have a team of three down there, and they kind of share different duties, public information, what have you. So it all kind of comes in the fold, but. 
you're always recruiting. Um, and so like, when we have lateral hires, I'll send the backgrounders out to that agency to do the background. And I'll do that because I want to know how they fit in in that agency. And also it's a recruitment thing for me is if I send it out, they said, man, holy shit, they sent you out here to sent you out here and paid all the money just so you come see if I'm a good candidate. Yeah. I mean, it's a big investment. Bringing a, yeah. bringing a person is a big investment. And again, the, the paper doesn't tell the full story of the candidate that you got to go. We got to go see them in this environment and their policing, especially with mm-hmm. the laterals in their environment. That's a good recruiting tool. And then uh, I don't openly really go force. Like we do some job fairs and different things. So um, that's when I hear that, I think, okay, we're still in pretty good shape because we're, we're able to bring them to us still. And we don't have to go out everywhere, but one day we're going to get to that too, right? We're going to have to be doing that at some point as well, too. I just have to start getting ready for that as well. But everybody is competing. And, and look, 2020 was hard. Mm-hmm. It was just hard. I mean, we took mm-hmm. a hit, took a big hit. Um, I think that everybody knows that they, I think they're coming around to understanding we shouldn't have gone at the police the way we did. <laughs> yeah. Now. But, yeah, I, think, I think back then they thought it was a good idea. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh that's a, that's a whole another podcast where you could talk about all the yeah. all the yeah. things that went wrong with beating up the police, and now you're paying for it, and you can't get candidates in the door. But I, I'm really I'm I get calls uh, every day from candidates that want to have consultations to get because I want to prep them for the background before they get to you. Chief, I want yeah. to talk to them before they get there. So they're, they don't walk in the door and they look like knuckleheads. They're ready to go. Um, so let's talk about, let's talk about Fisher's uh, recruitment and hiring and all that. You guys are hiring. I, I, I looked up yeah. at your FAQs on your, and I sent them to Minerva about the, um, your hiring process and stuff. And I just want to mention in, when was it in 20, in, I can't remember what year, 2020 or 2019, you guys were Fishers was one of the safest uh, communities in uh, Indiana, and that's not that's not easy to do. And so, what is the? Let's talk about Fishers. Let's talk about you guys are hiring. You're looking for good people. You're looking for laterals. And uh, how can and how pe- big is your agency? Yeah, I, I'm curious about that too. How many officers? We're, we're, we're just a little agency, but we pack a punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're 123 uh, merit uh, strength is our agency size. We're a full complement agency. It means we have dive team, SWAT team, canine teams, investigations, forensics. Um, you know, we're in uh, multiple task forces, marshals, uh, crime gun initiative, uh, FBI safe streets, uh, drug task force. Um, I'm, Oh, that's I'm a lot for a small I'm, agency. I'm aggressive. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in a lot of different things and, uh, um, we, we get after it and, uh, um, the safest city thing comes with this caveat that, uh, I sit on the North suburb of, uh, you know, a, a homicide rate that's out of control in Indianapolis and, uh, our gun initiative and our aggression of policing, I think is what's kept us out of trouble because uh, they thought 10 years ago that we would be, you know, just a part of like, you drive down South of my community and you can't tell when you've hit Indianapolis, it's all, it's all suburb city. It, you can't tell. Um, but in the last three years, when we started a gun, our strategical gun initiative, our officers have taken 300 illegal firearms off the streets of just fishers. Um, and that's a lot for my community. That's a hundred a year. Mm-hmm. 60% of those weapons were used in violent criminal crimes in Indianapolis. Wow. So I have, uh, I have those people in my, in my, in my, 
community. And so we as officers need to be aggressive. We need to get after it. We need to, you know, stop cars. We need to get guns. We need to go after it. And I'm, um, I'm still into pursuing. I'm still into apprehension. I'm still into canine units and I still do all the stuff that I learned along the way that thought was best to fight crime. And we do it professionally and we do it tactfully. And, uh, our guys, our use of forces have gone up. Um, but our, you know, we do crisis intervention training. We do the CIT, we do all the de-escalation, and our guys are just real, real good. I have a saying all the time is like, you know, act like you've been there before, you know, when we get into it with people. And so we got guys that keep a real calm head. And, uh, when I went through 2020 and 2021, I was meeting with, you know, all the different religious, all everything, you know, they're taking, taking us to task on our policies and procedures. And I just preached down up and down the hallways. Hey man, just patrol, be out there and patrol and please try to understand that not everybody thinks the way you do, Like you get on the side of that car and it's contentious because it's a, uh, a diversity thing. Just remember, we need to understand that they have a different, uh, they have a different mindset. They have different things in there baggage that they bring to that traffic stop just like the officer does and as long as i can keep them or the officer calm and cool collected we won't get to the point of um, the violence that uh, that we're trying to avoid out there and um, some of these things have been successful and then our approach and our training we, we spend a lot of money to train our people professionally um, i send my people to places all over the united states to train with the very best in the world they bring that back. We train our people a lot. You know, you, you name it, left the bang, the different tactics, you name it. We have open mats, DTs. We have scenario training. I have uh, we just we throw everything at our officers so we can make sure this community stays safe. And uh, in doing a lot of this, they get to professionalize themselves. So they get to become the professionals that they want to become. And I think that helps with recruitment as well. So you're, you're, you have to, if you're going to expect them to put it on the line, and I do, then you have to make sure they have the tools and the training and the competency to handle anything that comes their way. And I think these things lead to that safest city type stuff, because I didn't earn that. They did. They're out there doing it day to day, getting after it. And there was, you know, we, we went over a period of time where, um, you know, leaders, we needed to call perimeters better. We need to lock down. We need to make sure we were doing things because the, the violence was coming. And uh, we started, when we started working on our perimeters and our leadership, we started catching bad guys left and right. And, uh, you know, I like to put the bad guys on the news so they don't, they, they know not to come to this city and commit crime so I can get, I can remain the safest city or I can have those. I don't, I always look as a, it's kind of a funny can because with my command team, I'm like, there goes the certificate, you know, something will go on. Like, there goes our certificate. But, uh, you know, uh, it's amazing to me the job that they're doing um, because it, it is all them and they do it day in and day out and day in and day out. And they went through 2020 and they went through 2021 and they just continue to get after it. And, uh, and it's it's all them. So it's it's the police force. It's not me. Now, is your um, uh, looking at your FAQs for your hiring? Is your is your ba- your academy still fourteen weeks, and the FDO program is sixteen weeks? Yeah, unless you're lateral, that changes a little bit. So um, it could change. So if you're if you're going to lateral to me, you're just, you're going to get a waiver from the law enforcement academy, and you're just going to challenge out. That's what I do. I'm a lateral. You have a lateral hire that became chief. So there's all kinds of potential out there for those officers that want to come here. 
but uh, we take our laterals serious. We expect them to get in and help us make us better. There's not a um, you have to earn us phase. You know, once you're at an FTO, man, if you were a DT's instructor, we expect you to do it here. If you were an FTO there, we're probably going to ask you to FTO there. There's none of this. You know, you can't do it for six years and boo-hoo, you need to be one of us. I mean, we tap into our laterals and I expect them to make us better immediately. And they do. They get in and I, I got I got laterals that are, um, are you know, just doing excellent things. So, um, yes, the training periods are those. And the lateral training, field training in the street depends on the lateral. It can go faster if they're if they're moving faster. It can go slower if they need it to move slow. I've seen both happen. So, and you, um, so how do how do new candidates uh, who want to work at Fishers how do they get a hold of your recruitment unit? They can. Uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, you can go to www.fishers.in.us, which is our website. You can hit right in. I have an email right on the front page. You can email me. You can email my, my main recruitment officer. His name is Edgar Holmes, um, H-O-L-M-E-S-E at fishers.in.us. And we have a PT test a week from Saturday. That's tight, but we are looking for the best. Right. We'll take the best. <laughs> Now we, uh, <laughs> I'll put, I'll put all that information on the show notes. So if anybody, you know what, Minerva, if I was a young, if I was a young guy, I think I'd put my application in for Fishers. It sounds like a great place. Um, uh, you know, I'd move to Indiana. <laughs> What's that? I said, I would move to Indiana. <laughs> hey, the, the, you know, the, uh, the California prices and houses aren't here, you know? So when I came out here to Colorado, I'm like, wow, I can have that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was yeah. tough out there when I was policing out there. It was tough. And you take, uh, I think uh, uh, you met Nick Wilson through the Resiliency Project. Did you have them out there? It sounds like you take mental health for your officers very seriously as well. Yeah, well, there's an internal component to that. And so we have a, a three, it's like a triangle. Um, so we have our physical wellness, we have our spiritual wellness, and then we have our uh, our mental wellness. And all three equate to a good partnership. And I call it a partnership because uh, officers have to want to get help in those capacities. The way I look at uh, injuries is they're all the same, whether they're mental or they're a break or a knee. To me, it's an injury is an injury, whether it's uh, you're dealing with something upstairs or you're dealing with a knee, it's all the same to me. Um, we stand by our officers and support them fully. And uh, we have a therapist that's uh, um, you can anonymously go seek her out and get her help. And she's around and she roams the hallway sometimes and she's at trainings. And then we had Nick come down and just, uh, start to talk. What we're trying to do is go through a phase in about 2013 ish. When I was, uh, in patrol command, I realized that officers were like, they're not reporting their injuries. And, uh, it just was a distrust. And so we really worked hard to earn the officer's trust and let us know when they were injured physically. And uh, they do that really well now. We've earned that trust. So they'll tell us if they bang a toe or twist an ankle. And, and I tell them, say, you know, we have to document this because if it reoccurs or happens and, and we can document that it happened on duty, then we're going to be able to get that pension a little higher than, than what they're going to try to throw at you. So we got to be able to get your family taken care of. So they report all of that. Uh, you know, two or three years ago, when onset of Nick, you know, one of our command goals was is to get people that have mental injuries to come forward like they're physical. There's no difference between the two. And uh, we're getting a little of that. We don't have a lot of that yet, but we're getting a little of that. You know, we've had officers step forward and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing right. And, you know, we don't take their gun and we don't 
you know, we don't run them down to the doctor. You know, we take care of them, we run them to the therapist, and then we have some measures that we take care of people. And so you have the physical wellness where we, we have a off-duty gym, you know, we have a gym, we have an off-duty policy. You can make money to work out and stay fit. We have that mental health, which I just talked about. We have Julie, who's a therapist. We have Nick come down and train. We have some of our officers that have re- uh, retired out on PTSD come in and they do trainings in-house and talk to our officers because they have the most credibility and their wives come in and talk to our wives and we have a wife support group and that helps with the mental side. And then Nick's always checking on everybody. So he's helpful. Mm. And then we have a spiritual side where we have a chaplain's office just down the hallway here. There's four chaplains down there that, uh, you know, if you need to spiritually come to sit down and, and get some help that way, because a lot of people seek out that kind of wellness over the therapist type of wellness. You just have to provide just a bucket of things that officers can go seek and do. And a lot of this, uh, we didn't have any of it, you know, a few years ago in terms of the mental side. And uh, we are the, you know, the first agency out there that uh, the, the city is like, we got you. Like, we're not, we don't, we're not necessarily have to put you through workers' compensation. We're just going to, we're just going to handle this bill on our own. And that, what that does is, is that and no agencies are doing that. What that does is is uh, circumvents the whole scrutiny of an officer who's not well upstairs getting scrutinized because, mm-hmm. you know, he or she's been through something that they can't explain. Mm-hmm. And so we, we really try to get them help fast and workers' compensation kind of, we, we recognize, slows the process, if you slows the healing process down, if you will. So we, we've sped that up, the mayor and I, to help get, you know, help our officers as fast as we can. And if you can intersect that trauma, if you can get them help quick and fast uh, and just own it. They're back to work and they're back on the watch. And, and so it's a really, it's something that we miss because we think, man, they don't want to work. They do. They all want to work. They all want to come in. They all want to put their uniforms on and they want to do the job that they signed up to do because of that zest that we talked about in the beginning. And so we just try to help get them there. And the, the officers that came on with me that have, you know, 30, 28 to 30 years on dinosaurs is uh, Minerva would call it. They've <laughs> <laughs> packed so much trauma, you know, so much stuff in the suitcase that they, uh, you know, they, they end up leaving the job because you can't quite unpack all that. And that's okay too. We got to get them there. We got to get them there comfortably. But man, if you can get it up front, and if, if you're an officer out there and you're struggling, you know, call Nick, you know, call myself, call, call my therapist. I don't care. Just get help because the faster you get it out, the faster you talk about it, the better off you're going to, you have a chance to maybe make it out. So well, that's good to yeah. hear because yeah. uh, Minerva and I know some agencies <laughs> that their response to, to an officer being traumatized is to beat up the officer. <laughs> and so uh, that's one of the other things when you research departments, guys, see how they handle, I, I don't know how, how available this is, but see if they have a, a mental uh, wellness program for their officers because uh, I think that's of great importance and Nick is a great guy do, here, to get some of the nervous point I just thought this just came to my head right here and we do it here but there's none of these applicants if you're a viable applicant and you're a human being that wants to serve ride on patrol with that agency and ask yeah. the proper questions you know what happens they take care of you do they do they have the mental checks through? Do they have, you know, what is, what is the pay? What is the pension? What is, mm-hmm. what is my chances here? You know, is it a family first atmosphere? Is that legit? Is he, is he full of it? Right. On the podcast, <laughs> the officers are my, the officers are my, are my litmus test. They'll tell you whether I'm telling you a lie or not, because there's 123 of them here that are ready to call anybody out on a dime. So um, the, the guys on patrol won't lie to you. 
go go ride with the guys and gals on patrol and they'll tell you about the agency mm-hmm. they'll tell you yeah and if you're if you're if you're uh, not doing such a good job then you know they won't be back but if maybe if you've got it going on in a few areas maybe they'll sign up right yeah mm-hmm. well in in closing i got a couple questions for you chief go so the first one is <laughs> how do you like being a chief day to day I you know look I uh I've never worked a day in my life I, it's the career I want to be in it's the profession I want to be in and I, and I truly feel that way am I doing what I set out to do I'm not you know I'm 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 all about chasing the guys down and being in the street and, and uh, you know knuckle bumping in the culture and and I'm far from I'm further from that than I was but uh to clear that like I said earlier to be able to to deconflict these issues and help these officers and, and get them the equipment they need and watch them go succeed, then I'm good. You know, I'm good. I, I, I don't mind it at all. I've lost a lot of anonymity, Ken. I don't, you know, I can't. And I lost it young. I was in my thirties when I started moving up the chains so and I started to have to go home earlier. You go in and you buy a round and you leave, you know, you can't stay till the last round like you used to with, with everybody, you know, you just gotta, it's just, you got to be different when you're the chief and, and I get it. And, uh, I like a lot of it and some of it I'm still learning to do. Mm. How's that? Awesome. That's awesome. And the very last question I asked this of all of our guests is what, uh, 2020, 2019, 2020 was a tough time. 2021 recruitment's down. It's tough getting, it's tough getting off, uh, candidates to apply. What motivation do you have for those people that still want to be cops in, in light of all that's been going on. I'm positive, positive that there's agencies out there that um, not only want the applicants in, but they believe in this noble profession. And so there is a lot of good left to be done. And there's a lot of good things about this profession that I'm proud of. And I think that there's a lot of place. I don't think I'm an anomaly. I think there's a lot of chiefs like me out there that, that believe this and want to take care of their people and want to get the bad guys together and go home safely at the end of the night. So don't lose, don't lose yourself in the news articles. Cause remember negative news reads better than positive news. So I don't get a lot of limelight because I don't have a lot of negative things to say about a lot of different people or things, but there's a lot of agencies out there that want you go ride with them, do a little research. Like you guys are indicating to them, come out and ride with us. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of amazing things left to do. How's that? That's great. Minerva. This is a good interview. Yeah. This is the first chief we've ever had on here. I know. And I love him. I'm sorry, chief. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it. And I think the candidates will appreciate hearing from somebody in a command staff position. And, um, uh, you know, we talk to sergeants and things like that. But once you talk to a chief and you get to, and, and I have to say that chiefs, it, chiefs come in all shapes and colors and all that. It, it, it's, it's just like um, one opinion or what you read the news that a chief was doing this or like that doesn't speak for every chief around the country. And there are some really good chiefs out there. And this chief, you guys, in Fishers is a good, he's a good man. He's a cop's cop. He's, he's, yes. he's doing it right. And I think that uh, Minerva and I, uh, if I wasn't a fossil and... <laughs> 
dinosaur. And a dinosaur. dinosaur. We would go. We would go work if out I there. I wasn't medically retired. I'd go there. <laughs> I, I, I needed mental health to deal with workers' comp when I had to do that ten years That's ago. Right. So. If you, ever, if you ever come out though, if you ever out this way, make sure you stop in and uh, see. You know, there's sometimes I'll be sitting in the lobby. I might surprise you, but. Uh, you know, Nick comes out occasionally and visits and gets his Indiana on. He likes it out here. So uh, <laughs> if you ever find yourself out in the Midwest, make sure you call me. Indiana. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. And we really appreciate it. And um, Minerva, you have anything else? No, this has been great. It's refreshing. Like I yeah. mentioned earlier, yeah. it's been refreshing. So, you know, I, I wish I had experienced a chief like you during my career. Um, I didn't. Um, but I'm glad to see that in 2022, we have someone that is so open minded and willing to listen to his people yeah. and what they're and take to take care of their personnel. Yeah. Because that is so important, especially nowadays where, you know, there isn't a lot of public support. It's like, you know, it's a mix, right? There is some, and there isn't depending where you're at. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just refreshing to, to speak to a chief who is supportive of his people. Yeah. Well, it's the only way I think it's the only way you're supposed to be. Yeah, That's absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks. Chief, don't go anywhere. We're going to close out here and uh, come right back to you. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.